Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 31 of the Speaking Club podcast. This episode was like revisiting my childhood on the streets. We talk about kids, slides, and avoiding bullets. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, because making them laugh is the secret sauce to your speaking, pitching, and business success. And now your host, Sarah Archer. Hey, welcome to the show. Sometimes slides can be a bit of a crutch in public speaking, and I'm sure all of us have been guilty at one time or other of distracting or overwhelming our audience with them. Slides can be a useful tool that complement your talk and help the audience relate to your message. And in this show, I've brought in Lee Jackson. He's a man who's known as the PowerPoint surgeon, and uh, he's going to help us use these slides in the right way. But he's also an experienced coach and speaker, and this episode is absolutely chock full of brilliant advice to help you with your anxiety, as well as getting good at public speaking. Now, before we hear from Lee, I just wanted to remind you to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening if you're enjoying the Speaking Club. Smashing! Right, over to Mr. Jackson. So he's a motivational speaker, presentation coach, and one of the world's leading slide design experts. Welcome to the show, Lee Jackson. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's great to be here. Smash it. Well, now the theme of this month is kind of how to make technical or information-rich topics more engaging. And I want to get into the PowerPoint side of things with you, amongst other things. But first, I wondered if you could give me like a brief history of Lee Jackson, the man, the myth, <laughs> and the motivational speaker. The man and the myth, yes. Well, I was born uh, at a very early age. Um, <laughs> in the... <laughs> How far do you want me to go back? In the northeast of England. Um, yeah, and I lived in the northeast of England. I moved to Leeds in, uh, in the late 80s with my dad and his job, and I've stayed here ever since. So I'm from Leeds in West Yorkshire in the UK, for any of your international uh, people who are listening. And it's a great place to be. And um, in 1994, I set up a youth work, schools work charity in Leeds. I was a co-founder of that. And so... And so by default, I was speaking. I did that for 14 years. So the first, uh, the first real talk that I did, the, you could say the first professional talk that I did, was in front of 600 teenagers in a high school. And I turned up and they were all, all in those days, sat on the floor, which is very unusual these days, sat on the floor staring at me. And it was me, no technology, no microphone, and 600 basically teenagers who didn't want to be there. So that was my first speaking experience. And so I, I specialized in that and ran a team that worked in education. So my background is in youth work and education. And uh, when that came to an end about 10 years ago now, I celebrated my 10 years in business just last weekend. Brilliant. And I, um, I decided, I sat down and I thought, I wonder if I could make a living doing what I think I do best. And that's speaking. Because it's that's what people it's it's what people validate you in is usually what you do best. Do you know what I mean? We'd all like to think that we do certain things best, but actually, it's when people say to you, "You're really good at that," and you, that's when you should really listen. I think um, it's kind of like your superpower that you you don't sometimes you don't know you've got this superpower, but it's it's normally the thing you find easy, and most other people find challenging. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And uh, we're, we're, we're actually doing this over video, even though it's audio, and I can see behind you a guitar. <laughs> um, 
but I'm, you know, you, you said to me that you're probably not the world's expert on guitar, but you, you know what you are good at. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that's very that's... true. I'm not anywhere near an expert on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> if you can do a, if you can do A and E minor, you're fine. You can get away with most things. That's what I think. So. Yeah, I can do. I could probably do those two chords. That's probably about it, though. But <laughs> <laughs> never mind. <laughs> enough about me. So so really, 600 kids for your first gig. That pretty it's mm. pretty much downhill from there on in, isn't it? Yeah, well, what I want to say about working, because still about a third of my work is in education. So I still do motivational talks for, for teenagers, exam age teenagers wow. mainly. Yeah. So I've written a few books for them. It's about mindset. It's about helping them to get through what is probably the biggest challenge in their life so far, which is the GCSEs uh, and or A-levels. And um, what, what, uh, what I like to say to, when I'm doing t- uh, presentation coaching is the difference between speaking in a school and speaking at a business event is that at least people at the business event are paid to be there. So you, you need to bear that in mind that at least, you know, you know, at least they're getting some money in the bank by sat there listening to you. Kids in school don't want to be there. 98% of them go to school. They don't want to be there. So you have to, you have to be pretty good and you have to be pretty authentic and you have to just go for it because they will eat you alive basically yeah yeah i've got a 17 and a half year old and um she doesn't pay me any attention no matter how many words of wisdom <laughs> i spout so i i really i take my hat off to you what would you say is the thing that kind of hooks them in is it is it the the i mean we're, we're going to get onto other stuff but just i'm curious mm. as to what you think is the secret of being successful in speaking with kids gosh Being-age well uh, people, really aren't they yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, well, people are people, aren't they? I think uh, teenagers, they, they just don't have, they don't have a filter as much as adults do, right? So, so I, I, was, I, was, I was doing some presentation skills yesterday and I was, I was talking to the team that I was working with and I said, the difference is when you, when you talk to an adult, you, you wait for sometimes a feedback sheet and sometimes they email to you afterwards or you get them at the end of the day and it says, you know, four out of five and I didn't like the tea and the coffee and you get lots of feedback. If you're speaking with teenagers, your feedback is instantaneous. It's their face. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's the crossed arms and their face, and they just tell you, don't like that bit. That bit doesn't work, you know. And uh, I had this real, like, light bulb moment when I was doing – I did lots of talks for a couple of years, I guess. And then by accident, I started telling the story about how me and my wife met on holiday we met on holiday at a festival and when i started telling that story i saw every single eye in the place suddenly fixed on me and i thought they really wanted to know a little bit more about me because there's no point going in and just giving them you know content or truth or this is stuff you need to learn they just want to know a bit about me and when i started telling them about how i met my wife it was literally like I saw the whole room look at me and I thought, I think I'll use stories a bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really as simple as that, you know. And so I do teach that a lot and because uh, story is something that gets missed out. And if you're doing death by PowerPoint, what do people miss out? It's yeah, story it, on the whole. Absolutely. I couldn't be. I'm a massive advocate of stories. And, and what a wonderful segue you've just given me into PowerPoint. <laughs> now, <laughs> I noticed that you call yourself a PowerPoint surgeon and I, I'm assuming in that there, there is 
quite a deal of amputation going on um, with possibly some of the work and some of the slides that I've seen. But can you sort of tell me what that means and, and what you do? Well, I wrote this book um, about three years ago called PowerPoint Surgery, and I, I, I decided to, what was I going to call it? And uh, so foolishly, I put it on Facebook and asked friends and stuff, what should I, I've got to you do this thing. And, 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 I, and I mentioned this is one of the titles and people said, some people said to me, oh no, it's too aggressively, it's far too aggressive. And then the more I realized it is one, it was a, it was a Googleable title, which is always helpful when you're writing something. But actually PowerPoint is so bad and still 80% of it is so bad that it requires serious surgery. It requires, it, you know, it's, it's called, you know, it's death by PowerPoint, or as I call it, actually, death by bullet point. Because it's never death by power. It's bullets that people hate. And I thought, actually, if I just went for a slightly more controversial title. So at a few conferences, I've, I've got a, a couple of surgeons' tops, like uh, scrubs yeah. uh, that I wear. So at a couple of them, I've had, um, it's, it says on the back, PowerPoint surgery, you know, two, uh, day two, 2 p.m., and I just put the date of it on the back and I just walk around the conference with this. I did it at the Global Speakers Summit in Vancouver. Um, and my, my seminar was packed to the rafters because people were going like, who's, the, who's that surgeon guy? And it, just, it was just a nice way of getting something across. But really, it, it's because, it, because it's so bad. Because PowerPoint is so bad, we have to do something serious about it. You know, people are dying out there. Audiences are on their phones pretending to take notes but they're just on Facebook because people are just too boring it's it's endemic isn't it? I mean the last corporate job I had they tended to use powerpoints almost like internal memos or you know yeah, yeah, petition yeah, yeah. papers so you'd be on a you know a, a conference call where someone was presenting and they were literally just it was like being walked through a white a paper and it's, yeah. it's such a, you know, it just doesn't do anything for anyone. But, but you know, let's have, a, let's have more of a chat. And so what would you, mm. I mean, I guess this is aimed particularly, I guess, this month at people who do have those technical jobs, the engineers, the project managers, or accountants, you know, yeah. lawyers, whoever, that, you know, there is a tendency, I think, in those professions to have an expectation that PowerPoint possibly is a bit denser than normal. But it... I don't yeah. think it does them any favors. You know, can you sort of take us through your advice to people who sure. have complex info to get across? Yeah. So there's probably three or four things that would be very relevant at this point. And I've worked with people in finance and I've redone their slides for them. I've coached them around that stuff. So I've worked with quite complex situations. Uh, yesterday I was with a lot of scientists and they wanted me, they were all uh, porch, either PhD or post PhD scientists and they wanted me to help to simplify what they do for, you know, for want of a better phrase, the common person, the common man, as they used to say, you know, that kind of thing. And so, first of all, um, slides are often written for the speaker, but slides are for your audience fundamentally. So, so if we say, well, why, is, why do I need to put all those words on the screen? If you come right back and just pull away from that, that's usually from that's usually anxiety, Sarah, that's causing that. Mm. Someone is nervous or anxious, 
And I don't mean clinical anxiety. I mean presentation anxiety. Those two things are slightly different. So I don't want anyone writing in saying I'm, I'm belittling anxiety. I'm not. But presentation anxiety is something that I not only have to deal with myself on a daily basis, but I teach other people about it. And, and they, people think that if I've got every word that I want to say on the screen, then that reduces my anxiety. Actually, what it does is it just makes the talk boring. Yeah. So you shoot yourself in the foot by pandering to your anxiety. So the best way of dealing with it is to learn to deal with your anxiety so that you can release your PowerPoint slides to be something a bit more interesting. That's exactly right. People often use them as a crutch or as a sort of mental map of where to go next. And, and yeah, it's yeah. just, it just, you know, when that tumble me, we moment happens because of your slides, that's yeah. to pull the rug from, from underneath you. Absolutely right. And you so get this, sorry, and you get this kind of uh, thing where people are, so, so they might have, you know, I've seen up to eight bullet points on one slide, something like that, maybe even more if it's really bad. And if they go on the slide one by one, it's a little easier. But if they go on all at once, the audience reads the slide in about 15 seconds. And then everything you're saying as a presenter is therefore secondhand information and really boring. So the audience is automatically switched off because they're going, I've already said that. She's already said that. Why is, I've read that already. So never give out notes before you present. Always give out any notes or handouts at the end. I'll make everything you're about to present a surprise to the people that you're doing it. So never put everything on the screen. It's as simple as that. Worst case scenario, instead of having bullet points, make every bullet point a separate slide. If that's the only thing you, you can do, that's a good start. Yeah, uh, I think the, the, the thing is these days as well, I don't know, I want to talk to you again about what you said to those scientists mm. potentially, but, you know, the difference, but the internet's full of education, it's full of information and, and the yeah. different, and what speakers tend to miss these days or, you know, poor speakers is that they are bringing the insight. It's their, it's their mm. take on things. It's not the information because you can just go and find it. Is that, yeah. is that what you had to sort of deal with yesterday with those scientists? It's all getting them to understand that. <clears throat> yeah. So, so I, I spoke to them, I spoke to them a little bit about, uh, about Ted speakers, Ted.com speakers. Everyone knows Ted and most people have listened to a few Ted talks as they've known. And, um, you know, their books have been very popular. People want to know, how do I talk like Ted? You know, that's a big thing. And if you Google that, people are all over it. You know, uh, I've even got a couple of articles out there that says, you know, do your slides like Ted or something because people are desperate for that. But if you, if you again, pull back away from that and you say, why is a Ted talk so interesting on one level? Why have they become so popular? And, and the answer is very simple is they've taken an expert in a particular niche or an area and they've and the main TED talks they get, they get there a couple of days early and they'll work with a presentation coach most of them so someone like me or yourself who will go through and help them and then what happens is they take this expert maybe 20 years of expertise and they make it into an 18 minute talk so they 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 say it's great. You know, you're definitely an ex. One of my favorite Ted talks is the guy with the magpies and he talks all about how magpies are really clever. Now this guy for like 25 years has studied magpies. That's pretty niche, right? Do you know what I mean? But I he makes seen that one. I'm going to check it It's a good one. Now. I've forgotten the guy's name now. I'm sure someone will say it in the comments. I'm sure. But, uh, 
It's a fascinating, but you know, so he, so you're thinking that's very niche and quite a bizarre kind of thing that you're studying, but he makes it interesting. And he tells us how clever they are and how they'll work out puzzles to get treats and stuff like that. A little bit like how a dog would or a squirrel or something like that, you know, so they're very clever in that way. So you get that idea that what they've done is somebody has helped to make that interesting. So they've said to you, actually, don't tell us everything you know. And that's what I talk to these scientists about. Don't tell me everything you know, because I don't know and I don't need to know everything. But actually, what I want to do is what's the one thing I need to know? Maybe what's the three things at the most that I'm going to walk away with? And most boring talks have just never got to the core of their message. And once you get to the core, it changes how you plan. It changes how you do PowerPoint. Um, when I mean PowerPoint, by the way, I mean any presentation software. That, that's a generic term. So, you know, people say, oh, yeah, but I use Prezi. I use Prezi. And I'm like, well, that's fine. If you want to be seasick, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, it's the same stuff. You know, you can do bad Prezi and bad Keynote, Apple Keynote and bad yeah. PowerPoint. It's the same business. Um, so, yeah, it's just really, have you got to the core of your message? And have you worked with somebody usually to simplify what you do? And do you use slides yourself, Lee? All the time, yeah. Yeah. Well, when I say all the time, uh, 95% of the time, you know, I didn't use slides in certain talks. I didn't feel, you know, the first thing I teach people is to say, do you need them for this talk? So before you touch them, stop and ask, do I need them? If you're doing a one-to-one talk with a colleague, I'm suggesting you probably just want to talk to them (laughs) over a cup of coffee and don't stand up in front of them with a slide deck. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, it's, yeah. People just overdo it, don't they? And then that's, there's, there's two or three reasons for that, which I've researched and, and do share. And, and one of them is, um, first of all, that their manager probably did it that way. Yes, yeah. So if you've got a middle manager in a corporate or something, you know, they, 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 this is how I've, I've always done it this way. And so they will judge you on the fact that you should do it the way they did it, even the way they did it was bad. So actually, if you want to make a difference and if you want to lead beyond your authority, because you might only be in middle management, but you can lead beyond your authority by changing the system. And by changing the system usually means by changing the slides, by changing the way you present, because it's all about engagement and feedback, not about the way that you do it, right? So no one cares what software you use. They just want you to be interesting. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I use my slides to complement, like, does, does, does the point I'm making, can it be complemented in any way by a yeah. picture or something like that? Is that, I'm, I'm assuming, I hope that's the right way, considering what I do for a living, but just <laughs> double check. Is, you know, that, that, that would be the right thing to do to sort of highlight or complement or supplement something that you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, like many other people have written about slides, I think Nancy Duarte uh, yeah. talks about it and uh, Gar Reynolds and stuff, but it's, it's, it's a billboard, not a document. Yeah. So yeah, it's, a, it's a billboard, not a document. I'm not sure whether it was Nancy or Gar or me that said that. I can't quite remember. But it, that's what it is. So if you think of it in a billboard, a billboard is something that you read in three seconds as you're driving past it. You know, For us in the UK, if, if you're driving on the M1 or the M62 or something, Though when those signs flash up, they say, don't drink and drive, queue ahead, you know, slow down, 
they don't have bullet points on them. <laughs> They're very, so you've only got two or three seconds to read them as you, as you go past at exactly 70 miles an hour because none of us speed, obviously, Sarah. So as you go past, you literally have only got those few seconds. And so, you know, judge your slide on the same basis. Can you read this in two or three seconds? If it takes 25 seconds, it's way too complicated. So yeah, an image is, is the best way to go. If you have an image that complements what you're saying, then actually that helps with retention of information rather than hinder it. Yeah, I also use my slides um, to get a laugh occasionally as a appropriate. Because <laughs> um, they, they can do that as well, as well as highlighting, they can be quite, they can be engaging okay. if you use them in the right way. Is, is that something you'd advocate to people? Or, or to be careful. I know you're a, you're a funny guy. You're making me laugh um, through this talk, and I, I know that's something that that you're <laughs> known for and that you like. But is it, would you is that something that people could try, or or would you steer them away from that? I think everyone can make their talks funnier, but they don't have to be comedians. Yeah. So try and get people to relax and try and say, actually, just don't take yourself too seriously. So maybe a funny picture, a funny photo, or a funny story that actually sometimes doesn't paint you in the best light, but is, is appropriate for your audience. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I always advocate the safest form of humor is self-deprecation. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all comics. Well, a lot of comics open up with that, that bonding joke to start with. And, and I think it's, it's the safest way, but you can sometimes get a good laugh mm. from a, from a picture. If it's the right one, as long as it's not yeah. gratuitous, I think. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, there's some terrible, my heart sinks whenever someone stands up and it's usually a male in this context. It's not female. (laughs) When they stand up and they say, I got this really funny email last night. I'm just going to read it out to you. And my heart just goes, oh, please don't. You know, they've been doing that since the 90s, you know. Yeah. And they're just like, no, don't read me the hilarious joke that your friend just sent you because it won't be funny. So I don't believe in joke telling because jokes divide an audience, but I do believe in being humorous. And those two things are slightly different. And um, so what besides, you know, obviously we've mentioned storytelling, we've mentioned, you know, having PowerPoint slides that complement if even if, you know, if they're necessary in the first place. Um, how else do you make sure that your talks are engaging? And, and how much mm. of a factor does the audience you're speaking to play in how you approach um, making them engaging. That's a really interesting question. And uh, one of my favourite things to talk about. Uh, I'm a big fan of comedy. I'm a student of comedy. Like I said, I've done a little bit. You know, I've done three or four comedy gigs. Um, but I watch a lot of comedy because it's the best thing a speaker can do. Actually, you don't don't watch loads of TED talks. You're better off watching a stand-up comedian because you do learn a lot from them and the intensity of what they do is, is, is good to learn from. So I learned from, and uh, a few weeks ago, um, Ken Dodd passed away. Yes, he did. Who was one of the UK's um, longest and probably greatest comedians. Uh, I, met, I met Ken once, uh, had a chat to him, and uh, answered, he answered some of my questions, which is kind of him. But, if he, but there's a lovely clip which I sometimes show which, 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 where he speaks about my job as a comedian is to build a bridge from the stage into the audience. So he says, you only have two options. You either, um, in, his, in his way, is performing. He says, you either perform something at an audience or you perform with an audience. 
And that is a fundamental, it's like a value statement, really, that I always think to create engagement, you do a talk with an audience. So some people don't like that, though, because it is you kind of, you have to be a little bit braver and you have to say, look, I'm not hiding behind my suit. I'm not hiding behind the letters behind my name. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if I, I don't have degrees and all those kind of letters, but I've got things that people can introduce me as, you know what I mean? You know, fellow of the Professional Speaking Association, the past president of the Professional Speaking Association in UK and Ireland. And it all sounds very grand. And the first thing I do when I walk on stage is I break that down immediately to, look, I'm just Lee. And I've got some stuff here that I think might help you. Are you are, do you want to go on a journey with me? And it's that deliberate breaking down where I don't want to be pompous or pretentious in any way because people hate pretension in any shape or form. And that's why I think you learn that with teenagers. They can sniff it at 200 yards. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know whether you've ever spoken in your daughter's school. Have you ever done that? No, no, not, I've not had that pleasure or pain yet. <laughs> Because, you know, that really, really brings it home. My daughter was in my, I've got twins, uh, Rhea and Lauren, they were in, and they were in the audience for a couple of my talks in their school. And that was kind of, that really changed because I can't pretend to be anyone else because my daughters are sat there and they've seen the worst side of me. Do you know what I mean? And they've seen the grumpy side of me. So I think it's just about authenticity, about you grabbing, letting the audience say that, look, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I've got some stuff I think will help you. Let's do this together. So it's not like, you know, I've got the pearls of wisdom that are going to drip from my mouth and change your life. And I I think some of the things I say do change people's lives and people give me feedback for that. But I I don't lead with that because that actually creates a barrier. Engagement is actually just about removing barriers between you and the audience. There's obviously a thousand barriers between what I say and what you receive or an audience receives. And it's just knowing what those barriers are and working on those. And, 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 you know, so, you know, so last yesterday when I spoke to these academics, I knew it was a casual event. So I actually went in my jeans and my trainers and my sweatshirt because that's what they were dressed in. So if I'd gone actually in a suit, that would have actually created a barrier for me yesterday. So, and I mean, I usually, the speaker, you should be the best dressed there. You should always err on the side of caution. I very rarely ever speak in trainers. Do you know what I mean? But, but actually that was appropriate yesterday because I knew it was that kind of event. And so that broke a barrier. That is really key. I think, you know, and, it, and for me, it goes back to the prep. Like you knew your audience. You took the time to sort of think about your audience and and those barriers you mention, you can often preempt what they're going to be, especially between you and your message and what, you know, what sort of objections might they come up mm. with? What sort of stuff might you have to sort of break down in order to get them to, to buy in besides all of the other stuff, you know, the stage or whatever, the physical barriers between you. But um, I think you're absolutely right. I love that Ken Dodd thing. Although to be, to be fair about Ken, Ken Dodd, doing five hour shows, he had time to do. <laughs> <laughs> a pretty stable bridge. I said, did you ever go to one of his five-hour shows? Yeah, so I saw him about five times, I think. And uh, the, I've got a photograph of him, uh, of me and him backstage. And I had to wait, I think, till about 20 to 2 in the morning to get to see him backstage because the show wow. didn't finish till after midnight. 
Um, and he took an hour and a half or so to get all of his stuff together and to come out and get dressed and then to talk to some of his fans. There was about five or six of us waiting in the cold. Oh, God. In fact, the theatre took pity on us and they let us in their reception area because <laughs> it was it was the winter and it was it was in Leeds and it was freezing. Um, wow. But we yeah we just had to wait because yeah he just deliberately did it. That he was known for long shows, but yeah yeah. Uh, Tim Vine, the comedian, is a guy that I know a little bit, and Tim Tim's a big fan of Ken Dodds, and he says that um, uh, he said that what Ken did was he used to add new jokes to his show, but then not remove any old ones. <laughs> So he just got longer and longer. <laughs> oh, my word. You normally kind of pair it back a bit before you, you put some new material in and retire the rest or keep it for special yeah. occasions or whatever. Excellent. But those, those, those are really good, uh, really good tips that you, you're giving there. And I, always, I do think, you know, speaking is a performance in the same way that acting and that stand-up um, is a performance. And, and, it, and it's the, you can't speak without an audience. And the audience... Yeah can't hear the message without you so it's a dance it is a partnership i love i love what you said there that's really great um mm. you mentioned earlier about uh, working with people with anxiety and how people use slides as a as a crutch or a sort of protection um how do you talk to people about being anxious with speaking how do you get them to sort of move forward so that that some of that fear is taken away or or do you just yeah good question and do it so Three things I talk about mainly. Uh, number one is that everyone's nervous when they're speaking. If someone pretends to you that they're not nervous, then they're probably lying to you or they're telling you they're not nervous so that they don't get nervous. Yeah. It's, it's part of their routine not to get nervous. So I've seen backstage, I've seen big professional speakers who you know are earning good money, traveling the world, and I've seen them backstage with headphones on absolutely bricking it you know pacing up and down being nervous sometimes in in even with professional speakers i've seen a few of them be a bit diva-ish which is what i really hate and i i i aim never to be a diva in that way i aim always to be the a good and easy person to work with but i think people get diva-ish when they're nervous so they sometimes you know i need more water i need some water where's the you know and that's all nerves a lot of it it's, and so that's how they're dealing with their nerves, you know, they're dealing by getting people running around after them and stuff. And this is the wrong microphone and I, I need a bit different sort of table and all those diva-ish things, which are horrible, but they probably come out of nerves. So one is that everyone gets nervous. Don't let them, don't pretend they don't. Um, because it's out of our comfort zone A present. We're not naturally designed to present. It's an odd thing to do for a human being. We're better in crowds you know, it's odd for one person to stand at the front with 200 people looking at you. It's a strange thing. So just get used to it being a bit odd. Uh, two is you get better at the more you do it with coaching. So from someone like myself or yourself is, is one of the keys, actually, because if you just do it yourself, you might just reinforce bad habits. So you do need occasionally have someone to come and see you to work with you. And I think that's important. And three it's all about establishing a better routine. So I talk a lot to my clients about routines and I say to them, what's the routine? I've got a big section in my book about routines. Um, and it's about, you know, how do you actually, so when someone says, can you do a talk next week? As soon as they say, can you do a talk that flicks a switch in your head 
and that's the start of your routine. And if you're a nervous speaker, when that switch is flicked, what happens is you go, I'm nervous now. I don't like speaking. And you think, the last time I spoke, it was terrible. They're all going to kill me. Everyone in the room is better than me. Everyone in the room. And so we start on this whole kind of like avalanche of poor thinking, you know, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, as Paul McGee says, faulty thinking. Yeah. You know, we go down that road of faulty thinking. And really the best way to deal with anxiety uh, in the short term, it's things like breathing and drinking water and that kind of thing. But actually that, that doesn't, that only scratches the surface. The medium to long term is establishing a better routine. In my, in my context, I can tell you what that is. So as a professional speaker, when a client rings me up or even when they email me, I usually make a phone call pretty quickly and I'll say, oh, tell me more about the event. And they'll say, yes, that's great. Okay, do it. We'll book you then, Lee. So then that flicks that switch in my head. So what I tend to do is as soon as I get a booking, say if it's, it might be for next week because people are getting later and later booking events, or it might actually be for in nine months time. And so I immediately get a piece of paper and write down what I've said in that conversation. And I, and I find that my ideas flow immediately as soon as I get the gig. And I write down loads of stuff and that gets it out of my head and that helps me start it in a good way. And then I tend to think about it for a few weeks if I have that, if I have that privilege of doing that. And then I'll add things and then just a couple of days before I then gather all my notes and thoughts together and then start to plan it properly. So if you just, if you just write down what your brain, because nervousness comes from, I've got this idea and oh, I need to remember that. And I'm not quite sure what's it going to be like. And asking lots of questions as well makes a difference. So um, what's the venue going to be like? Who's going to be there? What's the purpose? Am I on after lunch, before lunch, after break? Even on the morning, I even ask questions. I'm sure you do, Sarah. You know, is there anything I need to know? I ask the client. Yeah. I, know a friend, I know a friend of mine who was just about to get on stage and do a motivational talk. And they just found out that the, that the CEO, the much-loved CEO of this company had just died. Oh, no. So he's about to go on stage and the guy had just passed away. And it went around the auditorium, like whispers and texts and stuff. And so he had to deal with the elephant in the room because if he hadn't, it would have been the worst talk ever, you know? So, so those, so that, that routine then, so we, you mentioned the book, so you've got a, a new book out and just while, while we're talking about the routine, tell me a bit more about the book, um, what it is and what it can do mm. for people. Yeah. So the book's called get good at presenting. So everything I do in the future will be get good. That's, that's me. That's what I do. I help people to get good. And I decided, I thought, I've done presentation skills courses and, and coaching for years and years now, but I've never actually written it all down. And so I literally emptied my brain. And so you get 24 years experience of, of a speaker writing how to do it. And so it's split into three main areas, it's preparation of material, delivery when you're on your feet, and anxiety, and I put everything into those three ways. Uh, it's also got loads of, um, it's also got a, a web page, so there's lots of videos attached to it and everything else. So it's a nice interactive book, and people say it's very digestible. Uh, much of it is dictated initially, and when you dictate a book, it makes it very, di it makes it feel like I'm actually speaking to you rather than it being like an academic kind of style book, you know. Yeah. So it's as down to earth as you can get, and it's just everything I've learned the hard way so that you do, as a speaker don't have to. <laughs> it's as simple as that. 
Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I think the other thing in terms of anxiety, you're the first chapter around prep. I, I find with the people I work with, the more prepared you are, the more confident you get. Like you said, the more hmm. you know, sometimes you, you maybe you don't have that opportunity to be prepared, but that whole process, I and mean, I guess that routine is part of the prep. So in actual fact, it's both of those things coming together, the preparation and that routine forming that, that sort of foundation for confidence. Is that, is that right in, in your view? Yeah, but you need to be careful with preparation because I have known people that are over-prepared. Uh, okay, right. So you can actually over prepare. So it's um, so it, it, on the course that I deliver, I have a I do a scale, and on one end of the scale is what I call winging it, and on the yeah. other on and on the other end of the scale is over prepared. Yeah. And I and I get my clients to sort of, you know, where do you fit on this scale? Because actually, some people are really good at winging it, and I'm, I'm actually quite a preparer but I'm very good in the moment. So I'm very good at winging it. But if I had just relied on winging it, it would have no structure. I'd go down a cul-de-sac, you know, I'd go down dead ends and it'd be funny and entertaining, but it probably wouldn't, it wouldn't be good enough for people to go, all right, I get it now. But if I over-prepare, it actually makes me worse. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to do, to know my subject well, first of all, you know, I never speak about something I don't know about. Why would you? You know, you've got to know your subject well. Yeah. And then, and then I found that if you do that, but I, I trust myself in the moment to be able to deliver that stuff. So it reduces my anxiety if I actually get to the point where I say, I've done enough preparation now. Just be Lee Jackson on the day. And that makes a big difference. Cool. So getting that balance right between completely everything prescribed and being natural so that you get that sort of soup that center sweet spot of being yourself and your personality but knowing your subject and and feeling confident basically yeah the other thing i talk about in 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 the book is um preparing in a slightly different way i think people are nervous because they think of a presentation as one whole thing Mm-hmm. So they think as a present, you know, I'm, I've got this presentation next week. And if you break it down a presentation, it's actually chunks of three minutes of material or whatever. So if you do a 45 minute keynote speech, it's just, you know, it's just chunks of three to five minutes. There's an intro, there's a key story, there's a piece of data, there might be a video clip. Then there might be a, a, a testimonial, a, a case study, or you know whatever you would use in a presentation. And actually, if you were think of it as individual bits, I find that that helps me and it helps my clients as well, because then they can just practice little three-minute bits rather than having to do the whole thing again and again and again. Because uh, practice as well can be damaging if you do it in the wrong way. Yeah, um, so practicing word for word talks in front of a mirror is worse than useless, in my opinion. <laughs> you you better when you're driving in your car, just working on little bits like your intro and your outro and a key story, and on the day allow the other bits to because in your preparation you've worked it out in your head what you're going to say, and most nerves as well. By the way, Sarah, they do disappear after your third or fourth line. I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have to be really, really nervous to be nervous throughout, you know. Um, you, you know, once once I'm in the flow, 
you know, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm, I'm in my element really, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to see, we might've covered this off, but in a nutshell, what would you say is the difference between a good speaker and a great speaker in your opinion? Being yourself. Okay. And being coming, engaging. Brilliant. That's, it's coming up a lot that, and I think that's what probably one of the hardest things to get to. And that's probably where your yeah. experience comes in is around being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, the next little book, I'm going to write a, a little, you know, one of those little hardback books with sort of one idea in them. Yes. So the next thing, next, my next book is going to be on authenticity. Nice. And, I, and I've looked into it a lot. And I just want to say, you know, rather than when people talk about authenticity, they think about hipsters and beards and cereal cafes and coffee that costs £7.50. That's not what authenticity, that's been hijacked. So what is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The gentrification of authenticity. What does it actually mean to be authentic? Well, I've looked into that a lot. I've learned a lot doing that. People say that I, I pretty much am. You know, what I am now is who I am in real life, except I'm probably a bit more interesting because I'm trying to be more funny here. But, uh, <laughs> but really, you know, authenticity is, I think it's a misused thing and I think people misunderstand it. Uh, and really, I think our aim at work should always to be ourselves within a yeah. professional context, but always to be ourselves because how, why would we not want to be ourselves, you know? Yeah, you can't really be anyone else. So uh, you might as well get used to being <laughs> exactly. Very true. Very true. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, right. Thank you so much. Is there, is there anything, before we move on to my standard questions, is there anything you think we've not covered off, specifically around the sort of the technical, mm. complex info stuff or slide stuff that you, you really feel people ought to know before we mm. move on? Or do you think we've covered it all? Because you've given well, some don't. fantastic tips. <clears throat> well, as well as we said, get, get feedback on your presentations from someone that you trust, someone who's better than you at presenting or from a presentation coach like ourselves, but also get feedback on your slides. Say to people, what do you think of my slides? And, and get genuine feedback from someone that you would trust, not someone who does death by PowerPoint. Yeah. You know, and just try it and try. And, you know, if, if, you, if you really want to challenge listeners, then do your next talk with no visuals at all. I challenge you to do it because once you know you can speak without visuals, if there's been a power cut or something, then and then then you know that you're a speaker. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for that. Okay, right. First standard question, Lee. What is the best thing speaking has done for you? I feel that like I have the privilege to do a job where I'm able to be myself and to do a job that I'm. I, it's the best thing that I do. And I think a lot, of, a lot of my friends have jobs that they don't like. And I think for me, speaking as a job has just been a privilege to be myself and get paid to be myself. Brilliant, cool. And what has been your worst, or what's the worst gig, I think, is probably where I need to get <clears throat> What's the worst thing speak, speaking has done, or what's your worst gig? Oh, man, worst gigs. Um I've never really died on stage. I've never done that because I think I'm good enough not to do that because you can always rescue yourself. But I've had a few challenging ones. So uh, I've had two or three ones. I've had ones where fire alarms go off in the middle. So right. you come into a, you know, you've done, I'm, doing, I'm speaking for an hour. I think this was in school, this one. And about 35 minutes in, the fire alarm goes off and we all have to leave and go outside. Oh, no. And then, and then so then it's like, 
then when they bring them back in and then I only had like three minutes and then they had to move on. So I just, I just gave them a quick thing and then they went off. And so, yeah, so being flexible is important. Um, and a funny one happened to me in a, in a, a big hall. I was in a big hall and it was, um, college students, this one. So they were a bit older and, uh, they were spread all out of this hall. They weren't in a theater style seating. They were in kind of clumps and no one had brought them together very well. Right. And so there was a few people in the back corner and a few people on either back and it was awful. And I saw this alpha male kind of guy uh, strolling in late, sitting with his mates at the back with his arms folded. Some of them had their backs to me, you know, this is all hard stuff for a speaker. And then as I was speaking, I got their attention and about 20 minutes in, I saw him rocking on his chair and then he fell off, <laughs> off backwards on his chair <laughs> He flailed his arms out and took out about 10 of his mates all around him. And this is while I'm speaking. And uh, so I just stopped and I walked to the back. I just checked he hadn't broken his neck. And I just gave him a look and I just carried on with my talk. (laughs) So he wasn't the alpha male anymore. I was going to say, I think think his credibility was definitely shot there. so I think, yeah, honestly, flexibility is so key, Sarah. You know, there will be your computer dying. There will be an, a tough audience. You will get less time than you think or sometimes more time than you think. Flexibility is key and don't take yourself too seriously, you know? Yeah, I love that. Always p- remaining playful as much as you can is, is, is important, I think, <laughs> as a speaker. Professional and playful. Put those two together. Brilliant. Okay, so last, last question then. There is a book called Think and Grow Rich by a chap called Napoleon Hill. And in this book, he has kind of this sort of fancy mastermind. And the question I'd like to ask is, if you could have anyone, alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, I need three names to be your mentor's who would you choose and why? Oh, my word. Three people. So there wouldn't necessarily be speakers. I think I would, um, I think I'd have Jesus. Nice. Because, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good one to start with, I think. <laughs> uh, bearing in mind that also he was, a, he was a really good storyteller, spoke in parables and stories, and I think that's underrated. So definitely I could learn a lot from him in lots of different ways. Um, I was a big fan growing up of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I thought he was a great orator, but also, you know, he was a flawed personality. But I'd certainly like to know more of Martin Luther King Jr., I think. Cool. And then for a bit of fun, I think I'd throw in a comedian. So because he's passed away now, I'd probably say my favorite comedian, Robin Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And that would be a nice combination. Martin Luther King, Jesus, and Robin Williams – That'd be that would be a good night, I think that one. Would be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd I'd come and join you on that night out. That would be fascinating. <laughs> Brilliant. Was, was I meant to say something dead serious there? I don't know whether no, that, those no, are my three. No, absolutely, there's no prescription here. I, I I like it. I like your choice. It's good. It's good. It's good. We've never had Jesus before, so that's good. I like it. Yeah. Good. Well, Lee, thank you so, so much for giving me your time today. And you've shared such really great tips and stuff that I've, you know, not had uh, on the show before, but really good. Um, 
yeah so where can people find out more about you maybe book you to speak or work with you what's the best place for them to find out about you sure thank you yeah i'm pretty googleable uh, but leejackson.biz leejackson.biz is my main website there and you can find my youtube channel there i'm on facebook and twitter at lee jackson there's lots of ways but leejackson.biz is the main place and uh, you can find my book get good at presenting on amazon on itunes and anywhere else ibooks or whatever it's everywhere so you can find that anyway all right brilliant thanks again lee for your time and have a wonderful rest of the day thank you sarah my pleasure my pleasure oh what a down-to-earth guy i can see why audiences love him i thought the idea of having a routine was fantastic and it was great for getting you locked into the right way of thinking about your talk from the get-go and what lee said about watching comedians is also very true i think even speaking guru michael port said that as well and if you're interested in humor and how you can add some to your talk Check out episodes 19 and 28, where I teach you some tips for making your talks funnier. I hope you got something useful from the show and that you can put it into action today. And if you want more of Lee, you can always go and buy his book. Follow the note, uh, link in the show notes. As ever, thank you so much for listening and sharing your attention with me and with Lee today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss a show. We've got a cracker next week as well. And come over and say hi if you're on Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram. It's Sarah Archer 15 on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Sarah Archer also on Facebook as well. Find me there. Uh, well, that's it. Ciao for now. Go out there, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Thanks for listening to the Speaking Club podcast at www.saraharcher.co.uk.